0: Welcome to JFK in the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is the last in a series of episodes that explores the Warren Commission narrative in their own words. In this episode five, We specifically set forth and enumerate each of the conclusions made within the Warren Commission report as they were provided exactly to the American people. You might recall when we started this series of study that I asked the audience to be mindful when you heard phrases like, we found no credible evidence, or we found no indications of. It was a roadmap of smoking guns that eventually became the platform for so much of the research and criticism of the Warren Commission report that ensued after it was issued. Listen with a close ear to the assertions made and then wait till you hear what happens in later episodes as researchers begin to pick apart so many of these assertions and stay in the rather tidy conclusions contained in the report. So let's get started with Episode 5, The Warren Commission Narrative Part 4. And now, listeners, we turn to a summary of the conclusions in written form that were included within the Warren Commission report. This commission was created to ascertain the facts relating to the preceding summary of events and to consider the important questions which they raised. The Commission has addressed itself to this task and has reached certain conclusions based on all the available evidence. No limitations have been placed on the Commission's inquiry. It has conducted its own investigation and all government agencies have fully discharged their responsibility to cooperate with the Commission in its investigation. These conclusions represent the reasoned judgment of all members of the Commission and are presented after an investigation which has satisfied the Commission that it has ascertained the truth concerning the assassination of President Kennedy to the extent that a prolonged and thorough search makes this possible. The conclusions contained in the report are enumerated, and I will now begin to list them. Number one. The shots which killed President Kennedy and wounded Governor Conley were fired from the sixth floor window at the southeast corner of the Texas School Book Depository. This determination is based upon the following. A. Witnesses at the scene of the assassination saw a rifle being fired from the sixth floor window of the depository building and some witnesses saw a rifle in the window immediately after the shots were fired. B. The nearly whole bullet found on Governor Connolly's stretcher at Parkland Memorial Hospital and the two bullet fragments found in the front seat of the presidential limousine were fired from the 6.5 millimeter Mannlicher Carcano rifle found on the 6th floor of the depository building to the exclusion of all other weapons. C. The three used cartridge cases found near the window on the sixth floor at the southeast corner of the building were fired from the same rifle which fired the above described bullet and fragments to the exclusion of all other weapons. D. The windshield in the presidential limousine was struck by a bullet fragment on the inside surface of the glass but was not penetrated. E. The nature of the bullet wounds suffered by President Kennedy and Governor Conley and the location of the car at the time of the shots established that the bullets were fired from above and behind the presidential limousine, striking the President and the Governor as follows. President Kennedy was first struck by a bullet which entered at the back of his neck and exited through the lower front portion of his neck, causing a wound which would not necessarily have been lethal. The President was struck a second time by a bullet which entered the right rear portion of his head, causing a massive and fatal wound. Governor Conley was struck by a bullet which entered on the right side of his back and traveled downward through the right side of his chest, exiting below his right nipple. This bullet then passed through his right wrist and entered his left thigh, where it caused a superficial wound. Item F There is no credible evidence that the shots were fired from the triple underpass, ahead of the motorcade, or from any other location. Conclusion number two. The weight of the evidence indicates that there were three shots fired. Conclusion number three. Although it is not necessary to any essential findings of the commission to determine just which shot hit Governor Conley, there is very persuasive evidence from the experts to indicate that the same bullet which pierced the president's throat also caused Governor Conley's wounds. However, Governor Conley's testimony and certain other factors have given rise to some differences of opinion as to this probability. But there is no question in the mind of any member of the commission that all the shots which caused the president's and Governor Conley's wounds were fired from the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. Conclusion number four, the shots which killed President Kennedy and wounded Governor Conley were fired by Lee Harvey Oswald. This conclusion is based upon the following. Item A, the Mannlicher Carcano 6.5 millimeter Italian rifle from which the shots were fired was owned by and in the possession of Oswald. B. Oswald carried this rifle into the depository building on the morning of November 22, 1963. C. Oswald, at the time of the assassination, was present at the window from which the shots were fired. D. Shortly after the assassination, the Mannlicher Carcano rifle belonging to Oswald was found partially hidden between some cartons on the sixth floor and the improvised paper bag in which Oswald brought the rifle to the depository was found close by the window from which the shots were fired. Item D. Shortly after the assassination, the Mannlicher Carcano rifle belonging to Oswald was found partially hidden between some cartons on the sixth floor and the improvised paper bag in which Oswald brought the rifle to the depository. That was found close by the window from which the shots were fired. Item E, based on testimony of the experts and their analysis of films of the assassination, the commission has concluded that a rifleman of Lee Harvey Oswald's capabilities could have fired the shots from the rifle used in the assassination within the elapsed time of the shooting. The commission has concluded further that Oswald possessed the capability with a rifle which enabled him to commit the assassination. Item F. Oswald lied to the police after his arrest concerning important substantive matters. Item G. Oswald had attempted to kill Major General Edwin A. Walker, a resigned U.S. Army officer, on April 10, 1963, thereby demonstrating his disposition to take human life. Conclusion number five. Oswald killed Dallas Police Patrolman J.D. Tippett approximately 45 minutes after the assassination. This conclusion upholds the finding that Oswald fired the shots which killed President Kennedy and wounded Governor Conley and is supported by the following. Item A. Two eyewitnesses saw the Tippett shooting and seven eyewitnesses heard the shots and saw the gunman leave the scene with revolver in hand. These nine eyewitnesses positively identify Lee Harvey Oswald as the man they saw. Item B. The cartridge cases found at the scene of the shooting were fired from the revolver in the possession of Oswald at the time of his arrest to the exclusion of all other weapons. Item C. The revolver in Oswald's possession at the time of his arrest was purchased by and belonged to Oswald. Item D. Oswald's jacket was found along the path of flight taken by the gunman as he fled from the scene of the killing. Conclusion number six. Within 80 minutes of the assassination and 35 minutes of the Tippett killing, Oswald resisted arrest at the theater by attempting to shoot another Dallas police officer. Conclusion number seven. The commission has reached the following conclusions concerning Oswald's interrogation and detention by the Dallas police. Item A. Except for the force required to effect his arrest, Oswald was not subjected to any physical coercion by any law enforcement officials. He was advised that he could not be compelled to give any information and that any statements made by him might be used against him in court he was advised of his right to counsel. He was given the opportunity to obtain counsel of his own choice and was offered legal assistance by the Dallas Bar Association, which he rejected at that time. Item B. Newspaper, radio, and television reporters were allowed uninhibited access to the area through which Oswald had to pass when he was moved from his cell to the interrogation room and other sections of the building thereby subjecting Oswald to harassment and creating chaotic conditions which were not conducive to orderly interrogation or the protection of the rights of the prisoner. Item C. The numerous statements, sometimes erroneous, made to the press by various local law enforcement officials during this period of confusion and disorder in the police station would have presented serious obstacles to the obtaining of a fair trial for Oswald. To the extent that the information was erroneous or misleading, it helped to create doubts, speculations, and fears in the mind of the public which might otherwise not have arisen. Conclusion number eight. The commission has reached the following conclusions concerning the killing of Oswald by Jack Ruby on November 24, 1963. Item A. Ruby entered the basement of the Dallas Police Department shortly after 11.17 a.m., and killed Lee Harvey Oswald at 11:21 a.m. Item B. Although the evidence on Ruby's means of entry is not conclusive, the weight of the evidence indicates that he walked down the ramp leading from Main Street to the basement of the police department. Item C. There is no evidence to support the rumor that Ruby may have been assisted by any members of the Dallas Police Department in the killing of Oswald. Item D. The Dallas Police Department's decision to transfer Oswald to the county jail in full public view was unsound. The arrangements made by the police department on Sunday morning, only a few hours before the attempted transfer, were inadequate. Of critical importance was the fact that the news media representatives and others were not excluded from the basement even after the police were notified of threats to Oswald's life. These deficiencies contributed to the death of Lee Harvey Oswald. Finding number nine. The commission has found no evidence that either Lee Harvey Oswald or Jack Ruby was part of any conspiracy, domestic or foreign, to assassinate President Kennedy. The reasons for this conclusion are item A. The commission has found no evidence that anyone assisted Oswald in planning or carrying out the assassination. In this connection, it has thoroughly investigated, among other factors, the circumstances surrounding the planning of the motorcade route through Dallas, the hiring of Oswald by the Texas School Book Depository Company on October 15, 1963, the method by which the rifle was brought into the building, the placing of cartons of books at the window, Oswald's escape from the building, and the testimony of eyewitnesses to the shooting. Item B. The Commission has found no evidence that Oswald was involved with any person or group in a conspiracy to assassinate the President, although it has thoroughly investigated, in addition to other possible leads, all facets of Oswald's associations, finances, and personal habits, particularly during the period following his return from the Soviet Union in June 1962. Item C, the commission has found no evidence to show that Oswald was employed, persuaded, or encouraged by any foreign government to assassinate President Kennedy or that he was an agent of any foreign government, although the commission has reviewed the circumstances surrounding Oswald's defection to the Soviet Union. His life there from October of 1959 to June of 1962, so far as it can be reconstructed, his known contacts with the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, and his visits to the Cuban and Soviet embassies in Mexico during his trip to Mexico from September 26th to October 3rd, 1963, and his known contacts with the Soviet embassy in the United States. Item D. The Commission has explored all attempts of Oswald to identify himself with various political groups, including the Communist Party USA, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, and the Socialist Workers' Party, and has been unable to find any evidence that the contacts which he initiated were related to Oswald's subsequent assassination of the President. Item E. All of the evidence before the commission established that there was nothing to support the speculation that Oswald was an agent, an employee, or an informant of the FBI, the CIA, or any other governmental agency. It has thoroughly investigated Oswald's relationships prior to the assassination with all agencies of the U.S. government. All contacts with Oswald by any of these agencies were made in the regular exercise of their different responsibilities. Item F, no direct or indirect relationship between Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby has been discovered by the commission, nor has it been able to find any credible evidence that either knew the other, although a thorough investigation was made of the many rumors and speculations of such a relationship. Item G. The Commission has found no evidence that Jack Ruby acted with any other person in the killing of Lee Harvey Oswald. Item H. After careful investigation, the Commission has found no credible evidence either that Ruby and Officer Tippett, who was killed by Oswald, knew each other or that Oswald and Tippett knew each other. Because of the difficulty of proving negatives to a certainty, the possibility of others being involved with either Oswald or Ruby cannot be established categorically. But if there is any such evidence, it has been beyond the reach of all the investigative agencies and resources of the United States and has not come to the attention of this commission. Conclusion number 10. In its entire investigation, the commission has found no evidence of conspiracy, subversion, or disloyalty to the U.S. government by any federal, state, or local official. Conclusion number 11. On the basis of the evidence before the commission, it concludes that Oswald acted alone. Therefore, to determine the motives for the assassination of President Kennedy, one must look to the assassin himself. Clues to Oswald's motives can be found in his family history, his education, or lack of it, his acts, his writings, and the recollections of those who had close contacts with him throughout his life. The Commission has presented with this report all of the background information bearing on motivation which it could discover. Thus, others may study Lee Oswald's life and arrive at their own conclusions as to his possible motives. The Commission could not make any definitive determination of Oswald's motives. It has endeavored to isolate factors which contributed to his character and which might have influenced his decision to assassinate President Kennedy. These factors were as follows. A. His deep-rooted resentment of all authority which was expressed in a hostility toward every society in which he lived. B. His inability to enter into meaningful relationships with people. And a continuous pattern of rejecting his environment in favor of new surroundings. C. His urge to try to find a place in history and despair at times over failures in his various undertakings. D. His capacity for violence as evidenced by his attempt to kill General Walker. E his avowed commitment to Marxism and Communism as he understood the terms and developed his own interpretation of them. This was expressed by his antagonism toward the United States, by his defection to the Soviet Union, by his failure to be reconciled with life in the United States even after his disenchantment with the Soviet Union and by his efforts, though frustrated, to go to Cuba. Each of these contributed to his capacity to risk all in cruel and irresponsible actions. Conclusion number 12. The Commission recognizes that the varied responsibilities of the President require that he make frequent trips to all parts of the United States and abroad. Consistent with their high responsibilities, Presidents can never be protected from every potential threat. The Secret Service's difficulty in meeting its protective responsibility varies with the activities and the nature of the occupant of the office of president and his willingness to conform to plans for his safety. In appraising the performance of the Secret Service, it should be understood that it has to do its work within such limitations. Nevertheless, the Commission believes that recommendations for improvements in presidential protection are compelled by the facts disclosed in this investigation. Item A. The complexities of the presidency have increased so rapidly in recent years that the Secret Service has not been able to develop or to secure adequate resources of personnel and facilities to fulfill its important assignment. The situation should be promptly remedied. Item B. The Commission has concluded that the criteria and procedures of the Secret Service designed to identify and protect against persons considered threats to the President were not adequate prior to the assassination. B1. The Protective Research Section of the Secret Service, which is responsible for its preventative work, lacked sufficient trained personnel and the mechanical and technical assistance needed to fulfill its responsibility. B. Item 2. Prior to the assassination, the Secret Service's criteria dealt with direct threats against the President. Although the Secret Service treated the direct threats against the President adequately, it failed to recognize the necessity of identifying other potential sources of danger to his security. The Secret Service did not develop adequate and specific criteria defining these persons or groups who might present a danger to the President. In effect, the Secret Service largely relied upon other federal or state agencies to supply the information necessary for it to fulfill its preventative responsibilities, although it did ask for information about direct threats to the President. Item C. The commission has concluded that there was insufficient liaison and coordination of information between the secret service and other federal agencies necessarily concerned with presidential protection although the fbi in the normal exercise of its responsibility had secured considerable information about lee harvey oswald it had no official responsibility under the secret service criteria existing at the time of the president's trip to dallas to refer to the Secret Service the information it had about Oswald. The Commission has concluded, however, that the FBI took an unduly restrictive view of its role in preventative intelligence work prior to the assassination. A more carefully coordinated treatment of the Oswald case by the FBI might well have resulted in bringing Oswald's activities to the attention of the Secret Service. Item D. The Commission has concluded that some of the advanced preparations in Dallas made by the Secret Service, such as the detailed security measures taken at Love Field and the Trademark, were thorough and well executed. In other respects, however, the Commission has concluded that the advanced preparation for the President's trip were deficient. Subitem 1. Although the Secret Service is compelled to rely to a great extent on local law enforcement officials. Its procedures at the time of the Dallas trip did not call for well-defined instructions as to the respective responsibilities of the police officials and others assisting in the protection of the President. Subitem 2. The procedures relied upon by the Secret Service for detecting the presence of an assassin located in a building along a motorcade route were inadequate. At the time of the trip to Dallas, the Secret Service, as a matter of practice, did not investigate or cause to be checked any building located along the motorcade route to be taken by the President. The responsibility for observing windows in these buildings during the motorcade was divided between local police personnel stationed on the streets to regulate crowds and Secret Service agents riding in the motorcade. Based on its investigation, the commission has concluded that these arrangements during the trip to Dallas were clearly not sufficient. Item E. The configuration of the presidential car and the seating arrangements of the Secret Service agents in the car did not afford the Secret Service agents the opportunity they should have had to be of immediate assistance to the president at the first sign of danger. Item F. Within these limitations, however, the commission finds that the agents most immediately responsible for the president's safety reacted promptly at the time the shots were fired from the Texas School Book Depository Building. This is your host, Jeff Cradell, and I hope you've enjoyed Episode 5 of JFK and the Enduring Secret.